Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. 2021 has officially come and gone. Good riddance in a lot of ways. Uh, and 2022 has arrived, and with that, we kick off a brand new CFL offseason here on the podcast. Now, you're probably wondering where my usual co-host, the great Michael Garrell, is. Well, as you know, if you listen to this podcast regularly, he's a pretty busy guy. He's got a lot going on, a ton of different work endeavors. So uh, we kind of decided together, you know, let him take some time off from the pod here to start the offseason. Help lessen his load a little bit. Also gives me an opportunity to bring in some guests to host the show with me uh, because we really didn't get a chance to do that just due to our recording setup during the season. Uh, he will, of course, be back every couple of weeks to check in and weigh in on all the latest news around the CFL. But in the meantime, we get to bring in some fun guests here to start the offseason and uh, do a bit of a deep dive on some of these teams uh, that played in the CFL this past season because we do... Uh, you know, cover the league as a whole, which means we don't get to spend too much time normally on each individual team. So this is a chance to kind of go deeper into them uh, here on the podcast. And what better team to start off with than the defending Grey Cup champs, uh, two-time yeah, Grey Cup champs. <laughs> uh, and I'm pleased to be joined by our first guest here of the offseason. He's a Bomber super fan. He's the host of the Let's Go Bombers podcast. It's Zach Schnitzer is here. Zach, welcome to the show. How are you doing, buddy? Thanks, Ryan. I'm good, man. Nice to see you. And uh, I'm doing well. I mean, I'm still, it's still kind of sinking in that we won the Grey Cup. I, I was at that game. Uh, I was very uh, privileged to get to go. And I bought tickets about a couple months before and me and uh, a few buddies and a cousin of mine, my mother-in-law went. And if it wasn't the best Grey Cup game ever, it was close. I know, I know we've gone to overtime four times in the history, one actually against Hamilton uh, with the Kenny Plain walk-off. But uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Like, was this, was this the best Grey Cup ever? Or was it up there? I don't know, just because it went to overtime? I, I think this was one of, if not the best, I've seen in, in my time as a CFL fan, for sure. I go back to you know, a couple of years ago, that Ottawa-Calgary overtime yes. thriller. That one's another one that comes to yeah. mind. But uh, I would put this one directly up there. Uh, so many storylines, especially with the you know back-to-back -back, uh, rematch of the 2019 Grey Cup between the same two teams and the yeah. way it all ended. And oh, you couldn't picture a better end to the season here, uh, for Perfect. especially here in Winnipeg, which is... I believe where we both reside. I know I live in Winnipeg. Yes, I believe you do as well, correct? Yes, sir. Bo born and raised. And I, and I was listening to your last episode, actually, the other day. And you said some people think your name starts with a C. But if you're from Winnipeg, you you know Coop starts with a K. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Surprisingly, a lot of people here don't. So Really? <laughs> yeah, oh, I, get that I, always, I always have to spell it. I always have to spell it just to make sure. There's uh, lots of Coops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, that's another surprise for a lot of people, actually, is, you know, every time somebody meets a coop, they think I'm related. And uh, Oh, no yeah. No, no. There's there's thousands of you. There's thousands of us. We could <laughs> we could form. We could fill a stadium. Uh, totally. 
So we're going to get into talking about the uh, the Bombers 2021 season here today. You know, we'll kind of talk about preseason expectations, go through, uh, you know, different chunks of the season here in playoffs and then get into what we see coming for the offseason. But uh, before we do that, let's get into kind of your background as a fan and as a podcast host. Um, where did that begin for you, your, your interest in the CFL and in the Bombers? Well, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll cut it short. Um, uh, and, and it's, uh, I'll say this. I, I hope people don't think that I'm a bandwagon fan just because I happened to start a podcast at a year that the Bombers were potentially the most successful they've ever been. I think it's arguable to say this was the best Bomber team in history. Uh, you know, you might, you might, you might look at, uh, you know, some of the teams in the eighties or sixties or fifties, but I would say this is this is this one was pretty much up there, and uh, but it I wasn't always you know I've I've always been a pessimist because because I started going with my dad in the mid '90s and then we got into the Reinbold years and then you got the Dave Ritchie collapse in 2001 and then you you lived through 2007 and 2011 and 92 night like we lost five great cups since 1990 and some of them were heartbreakers so. I've been a fan going with my dad since since the mid 90s. And it used to be the four of us that would roll. Uh, it was me, my dad. And then uh, I made a really good friend who's still one of my best friends, uh, Damian Penner in grade one. And his dad is Fred Penner. But that's not why I befriended oh. him. I, I just uh, we got along and then our dads got along. So it was the four of us and our neighbor, Henry, sometimes came along and uh, we'd go to the old stadium every, you know, every game and my dad would drive too fast to get there and because he didn't want to miss it. And we'd get there too early and they'd fight over where we should park. And we'd always try and find free parking. So it was always a ritual. Uh, we'd always park behind that uh, Canadian tire there and uh, walk across. So, you know, it, it, it's a tradition. It's a ritual. And, and we've been fans for, I guess we could actually, Ryan, we just got our 25 year certificate. Oh. Yeah, which includes a little brick uh, etching out, outside the stadium in gate one. And then Penner has one, too. And uh, yeah, so it's pretty cool. My dad passed in 2017. But uh, so he never got to see these back to back. Mm. So which is too bad. But uh, I'll, I'll say like uh, certainly doing the podcast, I've gotten to meet a bunch of cool people like you. And I was, you know, at some point, I'm sure I'll meet Michael because I want you guys to come on mine and. And it's just that, as you know, the CFL is a bit of a family and, and I've just, I, I've met a lot of great people, not only just bomber fans. So what, what always happened, Ryan, was I was always the guy in my group of friends or anybody's group of friends or family that, that I was the biggest diehard, like biggest bomber freak. And, um, and, and I would, I would eat up anything bombers. So I'd read the forums. I was on Facebook. I, I would listen to podcasts and I was really into uh, one of them in particular was the Blue Bomber Talk podcast. I actually didn't know about all the other ones for some reason, I guess, because I wasn't on Twitter. And so I, that seems to be where a lot of the podcasts are are marketed. I don't know if that's a thing. Like, uh, is that is that kind of like the, the CFL social media platform or am I wrong about that? No, I would say Twitter is definitely the the go to for uh, for most podcasts and and the CFL in general seems like Twitter's the the main space. Right. So so I think if I'd have been on Twitter before, ironically, I don't think I would have ever started a podcast because <laughs> you guys have been around for a while and you're out of Winnipeg, and so I would have listened to yours. 
But for whatever reason, I only thought the Blue Bomber Talk podcast was around. And then those guys sort of moved on to other things. I know John's involved in three down. And so this this year, you know, we, of course, we were starved last year, as I'm sure you were. Oh, yeah. And so I didn't I, I, I didn't know of any bomber specific podcasts. And and I, I, I wanted to listen to one. But I never thought of doing one myself. I, I honestly never thought I had the chops for it. I hate everyone hates the sound of their own voice. Uh, and that includes me. <laughs> and I'm I, with computers. Technically, I'm absolutely atrocious. So like my wife does all the computer stuff in the house. So I never even thought of it. But then someone someone told me about Podbean. And I I, I saw the Podbean app and I thought, oh, maybe I could do that. I, I was telling this to the turf district guys because they had me on. Uh, you probably didn't listen to that interview. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had me on again. Um. <laughs> I, I did. I did, actually. And you were great. I like the gap. So, so just shut me up if you need to. So uh, I told this story, and, and it's true. Like, what I... Uh, I would kind of passive aggressively float the idea to buddies and family members like, hey, uh, you hear about this Podbean? Like, anybody can do a podcast. And of course, Podbean isn't exclusive to... Uh, to podcast platforms, right? Like you could do all sorts of things, but I, I would tell people and I'd float it out there to see what they would react. And if they said like, yeah, Zach, I don't see that. I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just being silly. But then the odd person might be like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. You could do that. Anybody could do that. And I'm like, well, I guess if anybody can do it. Anyway, long story short, I, I was sort of riding the high of the banjo bowl because I took my six-year-old daughter and you know, I was divided on it, but I'd promised her months and months before and so I couldn't back down, but I knew that like in seeing my buddy Damien with his boys, you know, you're often, you're often, all you do is you're, you're going for snack breaks and bathroom breaks, and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg and you leave at halftime. And, and I thought, Oh, I don't want to miss the banjo bowl. But then we, we brought her neighbor and her dad. So they had a great time. I, you know, they met bomber Vixen and, and bomber Reaper and she got her picture taken and got some face paint and, it was just a high. And then I, I think I'd had too many. So I guess my, I had some liquid courage and I, instead of doing any research, I just pressed record on Podbean and posted it. And it was, it was atrocious, but uh, the good thing is I kept going and, and people gave me some good feedback and I had some help technically. Cause I didn't want to put in my wife. She already manages enough in the house. So I, uh, I, I throw out a few shekels to this guy named Dan Batabonker, who I'd heard about uh, he teaches podcast production at red river college and so he helped me through it and then now i i know how to do it myself like it's pretty rudimentary what i can do but it's enough and then i i, I mean the, i'll stop gabbing here the, the last thing i the thing i noticed on twitter was there was all these bombers what i call super fans and i'm honored you called me a super fan but i'm talking about people that have been dressing up and going to games for years and so i thought oh okay maybe i'll interview these folks uh, and so I, I had a I had a slew of super fans, including, you know, Frank, who's actually uh, from the UK, Frank Horsley, who came here. And then I had uh, Reaper and uh, a guy named Evan Charbonneau out of Brandon, and Marnie Kramer and Bomber Woman and Gold Member and Golden Boy and and all sorts of people. So they, they've been just so much fun and it's been great to meet them. And uh, yeah, I just kept going. And so uh, it just became a thing. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing some some episodes in the off season. And then, of course, being a Bomber fan this year has just been incredible. I mean, yeah. you couldn't ask. The only thing psychologically that was an adjustment for me, as I said, I've been a pessimist my whole life. And so 
this year, as I, I know you want to talk about expectations going in, I actually was quite nervous, Ryan, because I expected us to do well for the first time. It's a weird feeling, isn't it? <laughs> Crazy weird feeling. It was really uncomfortable. And so when we'd win, even though we were winning game after game, it was almost a relief. But you might you might identify this like, you know, when you were when you're watching games in the, I don't know, late 2000s, you're watching games 2012, 2013, 14, 15, even 16. It's like you win a game and it's like jubilation. It's like we won a game. Wow. Like in your you're just on a high for many, many days. And this was different. Yeah, now, now we get to act like we've been there before because we've actually been there before. We've actually right? been there, yeah. But Yeah, no, it, it was such a weird feeling. So many games this year, we'll get into the games more here in a bit. Yeah. But it was so weird that, like, you know, fourth quarter, it's a one-score game and actually being like, yeah, we're going to win. This is great. All totally, right. totally. Up and let's head home type of thing. Not, oh, gosh, we're doomed. Uh, well, yeah, it's a huge turn of events here. Uh, in yeah. the past couple of seasons, the Bombers have been on quite the roll here. Um, yeah. yeah, getting into, the, I guess, the preseason expectations, you know, 2019 yeah. Grey Cup win. Uh, the, the, the drought ends there in 2019. Then it becomes a question of, well, how do you follow this up? You know a bunch of guys are going to leave, especially you have not one but two off seasons in the middle because there was no 2020 season. Um, yeah. So you're expecting, you know, okay, this team's going to look a lot different coming into 2021, but arguably they were the most intact team out of any in the CFL. I mean, you think of the pieces they lost, they, they lost Matt Nichols, Chris Stradler, Winston Rose, who ended up coming back comes to mind. Uh, Marcus sales, Justin Medlock, like those are some notable pieces, but the core of the team was still intact coming into the year. So Kind of what what were your expectations? You said you, like coming into the year. I I like I said, like I kind of I was optimistic but nervous because I expected us to be good. And I definitely uh I love what you said about the continuity. I think we had a huge amount of continuity with players and and coaches, and I think that was huge. Coaches and ownership. You just have to look at Edmonton. You know, I was talking about this with the turf district folks. You know, they were picked to win the division based on talent. Yeah. Because you had Trevor Harris, you had James Wilder, you had that uh you had that great defense and, and Darrell Walker and those those people, but they didn't have the continuity, and you see what happens. So I I was expecting good things. The thing I was really worried about, which which is probably most of Bomber Nation, was the kicking game, as you said, Medlock. I mean, is the best kicker ever. You can't replace that. So I knew this Legio guy was coming in and I thought, okay, like he had, he set a record in U sports. He he's jacked. I like, I like a kicker who's jacked, you know, he's going to take on some tackles. So, but, but still, you know, like I, I was a bit leery of, of that. And then the secondary losing sales and Rose, uh, I was quite concerned. And then of course you see Mastin go down and in, in training camp, Johnson goes down and I'm like, oh boy, we're in trouble. Uh, so, so I was cautiously optimistic going into the season, but I was, I was, I was nervous because I, I Edmonton was was so highly touted. BC, they have a they have a legit coach. They 
they stole our assistant general manager ring maiden they stole sales they got lucky whitehead you know like i and they you know i thought their their o-line they'd done some good things so i thought they're they're going to be tricky calgary's always hard to play against and they've got bow back and i didn't re- you know i don't think any of us realized at the beginning of the season how how sort of compromised he might be and then of course of course the riders you know they you know they were arguably the best team in the west in 2019 so i thought it's going to be a dogfight but i yeah. thought we you know we we should be good and and then i guess i i think caleros was the missing piece i think caleros was when i think about matt nichols like i think we had a stacked team in 2018 uh, even in 2019, but we needed sort of a gunslinger who could, who could get us out of messy situations. Nichols, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll never be able to thank him enough for taking us out of the, uh, <laughs> the doldrums of the Drew Willie uh, offense. And, and I think he saved O'Shea's job yeah. and he brought stability, but I don't think he could ever take you over the top. And so there was something, there's a, magic about Caleros and I think the coaches trusted him and and I just that gave me a lot of confidence that he could that he could take us uh where we needed to go yeah my thought coming into the season I was much the same way I think I in my preseason predictions I had the Bombers finishing third I think in the West Division and I mean somebody can go back check back to our season preview show and let me know if I predicted differently. <laughs> That's uh, a good thing. Nobody ever checks back, right? <laughs> <laughs> the episode's there if you want to. Um, but I'm pretty sure I had the Bombers finishing third. You know, I was, yeah. I was somebody who had Edmonton finishing higher. I think I had Edmonton yeah. going on to, uh, to be in the great cup against Hamilton there. Right. Itself, a lot of people like did. many people um, for me. Yeah. The concern with the Bombers was a, the kicking position, as you mentioned, because, I mean, it going in, it, it's weird going into a field goal from within, within 40 yards and not knowing whether you're going to make it. Totally. Uh, or, you know, as the season rolled along, just expecting you were going to miss it. But <laughs> that, that, was, that was something we weren't used to when we had Medlock here in Winnipeg, yeah. right? And, yeah. and, and then the quarterback position as well. I, I mean, Chris Strebler, there's nothing you could do about that. One guy wants to go to the NFL, gets shot in the NFL. You, you got to applaud him for taking that and for totally. sticking in the NFL. Uh, I know he did have, like, go by the Cardinals a bit ago, and now I think is with the Ravens on the practice roster there. But yeah. he's making his money there in the, the NFL, and he's sticking around. You, you got to give him credit for that. Uh, so then I guess it comes down to, you know, the decision. Do you stick with Matt Nichols? Do you stick with Zach Caleros? Uh, it was an interesting discussion, I know, in that 2019 offseason. And yes. because Nichols, you know, before he got injured, was playing some of the best ball of his career, I think, as well. And then he goes yep. down, and then Caleros comes in. And this is a guy who peak of his game at, in, in 2015, and then kind of trail of injuries from there. You think he doesn't have it anymore, gets injured first three plays of the season in Saskatchewan, goes to Toronto gets traded here to Winnipeg and then goes undefeated down the stretch to lead them to the gray cup. And it's kind of like, okay, this is great, but I wasn't necessarily sold on Caleros coming into this year, just because it was such a small sample size after we had seen from him from the past couple of years. So that to me was a big question mark coming into this year. Not only his his health and, and just, you know, can he keep that up coming into this year? 
Now, obviously, what does he go and do? Well, he stays healthy the entire season, which very few quarterbacks do. Goes on to win MOP and Grey Cup MOP. So I, <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, he he proved me wrong a little bit there. Like, and I had nothing to be concerned about at all, apparently, coming into the year. But uh, that that's kind of where I was at in the preseason was, you know, the you had the mainstay of Matt Nichols for the past number of years as quarterback. Now you shifted over to Coleros. He did some good things, but what's this next year going to bring for him? Yeah, no, that that's totally fair. And I, I it's interesting that I, I wasn't concerned about that because you bring up very valid points, Ryan, you know, he had his injury history. That was a, it was a very small four game sample size. And, and, and to be fair, he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. You know, you look at the great cup game, he only had to throw, I think it was about 170 yards. He didn't even throw a touchdown. He didn't throw a pick either. Uh, in the Western final, I think he threw for like 270 and a touchdown. Um, and in the game against Calgary, I don't think he threw for that much either, except for that bomb to uh, to Darvin Adams. But, you know, there, there was just something, there, there was a magic to him. Like he, unlike Nichols, I just saw him throw balls off script and his 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 accuracy on the deep ball was phenomenal. And, and so, but you're right. Like a lot of people worried about his injury history. And then you had, I just thought of this, well, you had Buck Pierce coming in without, without the mentor Lapo. And, and I think I was wondering, okay, how's Buck going to do? Cause Lapo's offense is pretty complex. There's lots of misdirection mm-hmm. and trickery. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. What did you, what were your expectations for Buck? Yeah, I mean, you like you said, so much trickery out of uh, mm-hmm. Paul Apolis. I, I think I expected kind of more of a simplified offense. And, you know, you kind of expect, okay, the team's going to lean on Andrew Harris quite a bit still yeah. on offense, which is what you should do when you have somebody of his caliber uh, totally. available to you. But, uh, of course, that ended up being a bit of a wrinkle at the start of the season. You know, in training camp, all of a sudden, Andrew Harris isn't quite ready to go, and he ended up missing you know, a first number of games before he gets back in and then leaves with injury again, then comes back in at playoffs. Um, but kind of start of the season, yeah, Buck Pierce takes over offensive coordinator now without his number one weapon straight from the get-go. Uh, you've got Brady Olvera starting the year at running back. And I, I thought, you know, there were some times early in the season where the play, some of the play calling, you know, I look at that loss in Toronto in week two where I'm like, okay, what's going on here from the play calling? But then it kind of seemed as the season went along, I thought I thought Buck Pierce put together a pretty well-organized game plan throughout the season, especially for your first season as offensive coordinator. Totally. I totally agree. I, I And I agree at the beginning. I was kind of like, mm, I'm not so sure about this. And, and it seemed a bit vanilla to my untrained eye. Like I've never played football, but you, you, you even look at the Grey Cup, some of the, like the pre-stap uh, movement, there isn't much of it, but maybe there doesn't need to be. And, and he won the great cup. So, you know, and as you said, Calero's got, got MOP and great cup MVP. So, I mean, you know, what do I know? But yeah, it, it seemed a little shaky at the start. And then you had that hiccup in Toronto. I still don't know exactly what happened there. Uh, Cause it's such a weird outlier of a game. Yeah. And, and you know, if we, once we let's start getting into some of the games more specifically here, uh, we're going to break this up kind of into three chunks, uh, 14 mm-hmm. game season. So quick math means it does not evenly split up, but uh, into three equal chunks. But I figure, you know, first four games brings you into then the, the fifth one is the Labor Day game. So we'll start off with the first four, then we'll do yeah. the middle five and then get into the four down the stretch. 
Um, and the, the first game kicks off the season, first CFL game in two years, uh, 600 and something days. Uh, the Bombers hosting the Ticats at IG Field. And uh, I feel like the script coming into this game was the Ticats still being a heavy favorite. You know, were. a lot of people, myself included, picked them to go on to win the Grey Cup this year. Expected them to steamroll this season just the way they did in 2019 during the year. They were looking good. And uh, they came into this game and and first drive. I remember first <laughs> drive of this game, you know, yeah. marching downfield. I think it was Jeremiah Mazzoli finds Jalen Acklin in the end zone. That's uh, right. Um, yeah. You know, rookie defense back DeAndre Elford gets beat there by uh, Jalen Acklin. Right. And you're starting to think, okay, we're missing some of these pieces on defense. Yeah. This could be a long year. Little did we know DeAndre Alford would go on to, you know, be, uh, I I forget. Did he make the, did he was, did he get an all-star nominee? Uh, I think he did. I think he did. I think he did. He should have, if he didn't, he should have, um, a fantastic season there, but that first drive was kind of, Oh boy, we, we could be in for a long day here. And then kind of going from there, you know, it's interesting, two years off, a lot of the talk coming in was we're going to see some sloppy football early, no yeah. preseason, you know, first couple of weeks are going to be really sloppy. I remember saying this on the podcast after that week, this was the cleanest game of football I have ever seen a team play. The Bombers turned the ball over zero times. I think they had zero uh, 15-yard penalties. I think they had three penalties total. Like, you couldn't ask for a better first game to start the season, could you? No, I, I, I think you're totally right on that. Like it, it was clean. It, you know, it wasn't the prettiest game. The, the I think the total, the total points was 25. I think they beat them 19 to six, yeah. but uh, I certainly, I, I remember watching that. I was at, of course I'm at the game cause I'm a season ticket holder and Alfred gets beaten. And of course <laughs> I, I had brought my, uh, uh, my wife's friend uh my wife's friend's husband from he's from ireland but he lives in winnipeg now he'd never seen a cfl game and he says to me oh that was easy <laughs> i said yeah jack it was and uh alford gets beaten as you say uh but 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 i remember looking at the play i looked at the replay i'm like wow he was in good position that was just a perfect throw it was so uh, but but then part of me is like, oh, okay, we know the Richie Hall defense. Maybe there's a regression here. And as you said, guys are rusty. But after that play, they just completely locked it down. Yeah, so, it, it was a fantastic first game there for the team. And you couldn't ask for better. And, you know, we talked about you, you, the things you mentioned you like to see from, from Zach Caleros, kind of his ability to move around through those deep balls. Yeah. You know, my, my concerns for him coming into that first game of the year, like he eased those so much in that first game when we saw a couple of plays where, you know, he just scrambled yeah. out of the pocket and found yes. the guy downfield. And it was like, okay, this, this could be a good season here. And, you know, Brady Oliveira, hundred yard game in his first yeah. game, start the season as well. Certainly a good way to start things off uh, and kind of foreshadowing what was to come the rest of the year for the Bombers. Totally. And you're right. Like I remember Claro's rolling out of the pocket to particularly to the right. And then he hit that, he hit that first big pass to Dembski, which was sort of a broken play. And Dembski sort of had a penchant this year for having sort of a path to the end zone and falling down or running into the, into his own guy. And that happened on that play. And it also happened on a, I think a, a banjo bowl a couple of times, but um, yeah, he hits him and then he hits Lawler for the touchdown. And, and then the second Lawler touchdown, 
Um, I don't think it was a broken play, but he just threw it up there. It was kind of like a 50 50 ball. And he, it was, he threw it kind of behind the, the receiver. And so only Lawler could get it. And I thought, huh, like, I never saw those plays with Matt Nichols where he would just throw up a 50 50 ball like that. They, they often, the long balls seem to be quite scripted to my untrained eye. So I, I was, I was pretty excited about what we saw from Claris. And as you said, I think in that game, he also ran off like a 15, 20 yard, uh, like he scrambled. So I thought mm, that, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And, and, uh, so I was I was pretty optimistic about the first game for sure, and then and then the second game was kind of a similar one, although it was quite close until until maybe uh, close to the fourth quarter. The yeah. Toronto game. Yeah, then we get into those two games back to back with Toronto. A home and home yeah. series is always hard to sweep in the CFL. Totally. I find. Yeah. And so there were kind of expectations, you know, especially Toronto winning week one over Calgary. Yes. Uh, and showing, you know, this is a potentially good Argos team. And famously preseason, you know, I predicted the Argos to be a top two team in the CFL. So uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to herald that one uh, until I die as the one correct prediction I've made in seven <laughs> years of podcasting. That's but, a pretty good one, though, Ryan. That's pretty good. <laughs> I like to go bold. A lot of times I fall flat on my face, but uh, that, yeah, that no, one worked are. out. But anyways, you know, some hype around the Argos coming into this one. And, the, and McLeod Bethel Thompson, great first game, comes into Winnipeg. You know, rough game there. Nick Arbuckle ends up taking the starting job or takes over in the second half. Bombers win the second one, 20 to seven. Then yeah. we get into the, the rematch in Toronto the week after, which, uh, you know, was uh, probably the worst game of the year for the Bombers, certainly. Totally. You know, of, of ones that mattered. Uh, kind of what's your take on those two games against the Argos? Well, what impressed me about the Argos, like, like when I was, I remember watching that game in the stands, uh, the first game when we won 20 to seven and I until quite, quite late in the game, I wasn't, I wasn't at all confident um, with, with Bethel Thompson, he was pretty much stymied, but they seemed to be a lot of his own errors. He was, he, he missed a wide open. I don't, I don't remember if it was Ricky Collins. Uh, he, he threw a bomb and he was, he pulled a double move on somebody and he was wide open, but he just missed him. And that's when he was yanked. But after he was yanked, like you said, Arbuckle comes in, and it was more of like a quick passing game. And, and they threw in, uh, they threw in some running plays with with White, uh, John White, and and they were very effective. They they marched down, had a touchdown, and I think we were only winning 10-7 at that point, pretty late into the game. And one play that stands out from that game too is I thought we could have put the boost to them early, but Claris threw that pick in the end zone. I don't remember that. And Adams just let the guy come out. And and what happened there when I listened to the post game was Claris thought it was an offside. So he thought it was a free play and it was an offside, but they didn't call it. So he just threw it up there. So we could have been up by two scores, but it, it was a close game. Toronto started running the ball really well. And uh, they, their defense, I, I was, I was surprised. You probably weren't because you picked them to be quite a good team, but their defense was very solid. And, and I remember, you know, we were all high on Oliveira from his first game against a good tie cats defense, but the Argos really stuffed them. So, uh, you know, we were kind of one dimensional and kind of struggling in that game. And then I think it was late turnovers that turned it. I think we got a couple turnovers on Arbuckle and our defense came to play one, one, he seemed to throw right to Nichols, I think was one interception. And then I think Jeff Coat might've had a strip on him. I don't, I don't remember, but the defense to me really uh, took that game over. 
yeah. but then the next the next one it seems like it, it kind of reminded me of 2019 when we had we had another back-to-back with the argos i don't remember that so the in 2019 i think we were up we were up on them like 34 nothing and they came back in the game and they made it a game and they just started moving on our defense at will and up to that point our defense it was early in the season hadn't led a uh I think a touchdown hadn't allowed a touchdown and uh, McLeod was just slinging it. And, and they sort of carried that momentum into next week. And there was that famous 28, 27 last minute win by the Argos, even when we were up 20 to nothing. And so this kind of reminds me of that. They sort of seemed to carry that momentum and, and they just got up. But I think that was the, that was sort of the, uh, blueprint, you know, get up, get up on the bombers early. So they can't run the ball as much. Uh, run the ball on the bombers to tire them out and burn the clock. And, and, and I seem to remember DJ Foster, who I never really heard from again, he had a good game against us. And, and it was a bit concerning, like our run defense, the talk around the team was what happened to our run defense. Yeah. But then, but then I remember talking to gold member I think that's the episode I had gold member. And he said, well, don't keep in mind, we have Gauthier and Briggs in there. Like Kyrie Wilson was injured. And Stove was injured. And after Stove and Wilson came back, our our run defense was tops in the league. But prior to that, we were really struggling. And I think you saw that in the Toronto game. And then the, there was a couple gaffes and a, and a tip drill interception. And I just think it was sort of a comedy of errors. And as you said, you play a team back-to-back with good coaching. Uh, it's going to be tough to beat them twice. Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of, we started seeing more and more of the kicking woes in this game. Mm-hmm. You know, two missed field goals by Tyler That's right. who was kicking yep. in this one. That's right. Uh, you had a bunch of errors here for the team where, you know, you're riding high after those first two games of the year, and then and then all of a sudden you come into this one, and it's like, what happened Like, yeah. to this team we saw the past two weeks? And, you know, I... I I think I recall this one got out of hand pretty quickly. All of a sudden, yeah. late late second quarter, I think the Argos just took off in this one. But the Bombers fall thirty to twenty three. You know, end of the day, they they do rally a bit late in the game and they come within a score. And and, and that's kind of the main takeaway I I had is you know you're probably not going to win every game uh, in in a season. Although you know if they wouldn't have rested people down the stretch, I I firmly believe they would have won. Oh yeah, but this one. Um, 100%. But, but you definitely, uh, unless you're you're Ryan Ballantyne from the CFL Horseman podcast, who predicts, <laughs> who predicts who predicts his Stampeders go 18 and 0 every uh, every season, uh, or 16 and 0, or 18, uh, or, yeah, 18. Um, well, it's hard know, to you, know anymore. This year we had 14, and that screwed yeah. me up. I kept yeah. thinking we had way more games. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but generally, most people do not predict their team to go uh, undefeated all season because no. it just doesn't happen, uh, especially happens. in a league so close to the CFL. So, you know, you expect to lose some along the way. And there were a lot of concerning things in this third game here. Uh, but then also kind of the the emphasis of, OK, this is a pretty good football team. If, you know, despite all of that, they come close and are almost able to pull out the pull it out in the end. Uh, and, and, you know, thinking of it now, it almost feels like this game was a bit of a foreshadowing of that West final, which we'll get to later. Yes. On. Good uh, point. A yeah. team that forces all of these turnovers or, or has this comedy of errors, it seems, but yeah. still finds a way to get it done. 
Um, so that was kind of the back to back with the Argos then to round out that first four game chunk of the season, which a lot of people were kind of calling the preseason yes, portion yes. of it. Uh, Cause everybody knows the season doesn't start till Labor Day anyways. Uh, yeah. That's what they always say. Uh, that fourth game was an interesting one. The Bombers hosting the Stampeders, Jake Mayers. I, I think this was a second start or his third start. For yeah. Calgary, yeah, uh, setting that record there early on in this game of what was it? The entire I think it was a hundred percent passing in the first half, sixteen uh, for sixteen or something. Yeah, sixteen for sixteen in the first half in this game, absolutely insane. You know, defense that had been so good uh, the first couple of weeks was kind of getting torn to shreds by a rookie quarterback and of course it's in calgary where they always find a way. They always uh, where do they get these guys, Ryan? Like it's not fair. Yeah. Uh, you tell John, me the last time we developed a quarterback in Winnipeg. I, I who was it? McManus? <laughs> I don't know. We, we tried to develop a bunch. Didn't we tried. We so. tried. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that game early on, uh, it seemed like uh, Calgary was moving the ball at well, but they weren't getting the yeah. ball in the end zone. Uh, and uh, Bombers pull out the win after a, uh, a Rene Paradis rare missed field goal at yes. that time uh, at the end of the game. Uh, the Bombers pull out the win here. But what were your thoughts kind of on this game with Calgary? Because to me, this was one of the, the, the tightly contested games Winnipeg played all season. And uh, kind of made me, you know, this in combination with how Calgary played down the stretch kind of made me a little concerned potentially to face Calgary in the playoffs. 100% agree with you, Ryan. Like I, I saw how we played against Calgary and uh, our offense really struggled. Like you, you said, they moved the ball at will, but they, they, they didn't get a lot of, they didn't, I think they only had one touchdown. Um, but yeah, they seem to move the ball at will because Mayer was throwing these timing routes and quick passes. And I think that's how you stymie a, a, a D line like ours, you know, like he, if you're, if your quarterback is on time and he's accurate and he gets the ball out really quickly, your D line is going to have a really hard time pressuring him. But you know, the, at the end of the day, they had a chance to win it. Uh, Parrot is with a 52 yarder. I thought he'd hit it. I still have nightmares of, uh, I don't know if you remember this game. Winnipeg and Calgary in 2016 were on a a seven game winning streak. And uh, we went into Calgary and they were beating us like 28, nothing. And we came back and took the lead with about 30 seconds left. Uh, I think it was 34, 33. Fioli Godino from Matt Nichols had, had a touchdown. And you thought the game was over. And then Bo Levi Mitchell, this was pre-injury, threw, and I think it was like that that classic Richie Hall um, <laughs> prevent defense. He got two quick passes, and then uh, Paradis hit a 52-yarder to win the game on the last second. And, and I still remember that game because it pisses me off. But <laughs> I was glad to be vindicated. I felt vindicated, but... What a what a bizarre game! Like they, they really gave our our offense trouble, and I think that was the game Harris came back. Yeah, right. And he he wasn't able to. And, uh, you know the def- that's the defensive blueprint against the Bombers. You load the box and you stop Harris and force them. You force them to beat you with the throw. But but Calgary has a good D line, so then they were able to really limit Caleros. It was only like we were down, and then we had that we had that that march with a two minute drill with, with Caleros, which led to the Legio field goal, which he missed, but 
but there was that procedure penalty. So they, you know, it almost seems unfair from a Calgary perspective that you missed the field goal, but because your, your, your timing is off and you screw up, you get another chance. Then he hits it, you know, and I'm like, wow, like that, that was nerve wracking, but I'm surprised he hit it. But one thing I remember on that last drive was Calgary almost kind of beat themselves because Mike Rose, who'd been having a really good year, he had that late shot in Caleros to the head and that prolonged the drive. So I thought, wow, like we kind of got a couple breaks there in that game. And then Paradis misses the field goal. And yeah, it was kind of, you know, that rounding off that first sort of preseason, you said, I was like, mm, I don't know how, I don't know how good we are. And then we're going against a three and O Saskatchewan team. Um, so uh, yeah, at that point I was, I was kind of 50, 50 on the team and plus they'd lost in Toronto. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. You know, if, if you look at it in that standpoint, you know, I, I, those, the first two games, great second two, and then week three, week four, those are the kind of, if you know that, yeah. that dud in Toronto and then that close one there with Calgary. Uh, but taking a look back at the whole picture, I would almost say, you know, three and one coming out of those first four games against uh, the best team in the 2019 season, the Hamilton yep. Tiger Cats, a home and home with a much improved Toronto team, usually a split. And then Calgary, yep. who's been a, a tough team to beat for yep. how long now? You know, it's a tough schedule kind of to start the year here, I would say. Uh, yeah, three and one true. start overall, not a bad start to the season. No, not, not bad at all. And then I, I, I think of some of the past games with the Matt Nichols teams where we would have lost those close ones. Like how many close games did we lose to Calgary and Edmonton in those years, right? In Saskatchewan. So it was nice. It was nice to win one and they're not always pretty. And, and what I always think is, you know, good teams, championship teams find a way to win games. They shouldn't, or they find a way to win games where they don't, where they bring their B game or their C game, like, like that West final against Saskatchewan, as you, as you mentioned, Ryan, like, I, I just think uh, good enough teams can, can pull those out. Now we get into that middle chunk of the season there, and it starts off with the Labor Day matchup with the Riders and then the Banjo Bowl. Uh, Bombers sweep this, uh, this home and home here, uh, 23 to eight in Regina and then 33 to nine here in Winnipeg. Uh, the week after and I think you know early season we saw the signs of what this defense could be and and to me this is where it fully cemented itself of this defense was something special with these two games uh what was your take on them 100% I uh I was not picking the Bombers to win in the Labor Day I mean I never picked them to win (laughs) in Labor Day even even if they're the best team in the league by far, like in 2011, seven one versus one and seven, we still got we still you know got the crap kicked out of us. Um, so I wasn't very optimistic, but wow, was I impressed with that game? I mean, holding the Riders to eight, and what I don't think we let them score a touchdown again, and then in Banjo Bowl again, and it, it just seemed like we had Fajardo's number. And, and that rider offense number. Uh, so that those games really impressed me. The first half in Labor Day was pretty shaky. I think we were losing 8-7 or something. It was a real defensive battle. And Zach threw a pretty bad pick. And Adams got stripped. And, and so there were some gaps there. But then in the second half, we just seemed to take the game over. The play for me in that game was the Wolitarski diving catch. That was incredible. And then he got up and did his, like, post uh, – <laughs> his post play uh guitar riff so yeah no that uh 
that game really impressed me. And then, of course, the banjo will be coming. We just smoke them. Uh, Ryder fans will argue that some of us should have got ejected as well, particularly Andrew Harris, who ripped off the helmet, but he didn't throw a punch. And that's, you know, that's that's, I guess, what mattered there. And then and then Fajardo uh, had to go out of the game because he got a concussion. You never want to see that. But just that ferocious D line. And I don't know, it's something about the riders. The our defense just seems to get up for them and they just played viciously. Uh, I think it was also held by the fact that I don't, I don't understand that. I asked Safi bod from the uh, Piffles podcast and he agreed. You saw it with McAdoo and you see it with Moss where they don't seem to use their running game. Like they just seem to abandon the run. And I don't get that. I thought that gave us a huge advantage. The guys could just pin their ears back. As long as they contained Fajardo in the pocket and he couldn't run, then you're asking him to beat you with his arm. And and up until this point, he just can't do that. He just can't, especially this year. And so I thought our game plan was really sound. And then we, you know, we got points when we needed to and then sort of ran away with it in the the second half and the banjo bowl. So those games for me, you know, anytime you sweep the riders in and labor day and banjo bowl, you're feeling pretty good about your team. Yeah. You mentioned the run game there for Saskatchewan. That's something that's driven me nuts for years. William Powell mm-hmm. such a great talent, but he more is. often than not, you know, it's just not getting the carries to make the plays work. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we've seen that sometimes Bombers the, the, this season too, like some of those early games against Toronto where Brady Oliver had like seven carries, you know, if you're only carrying the ball a couple of times, how are you supposed to yeah. get any rhythm going in the run game? Bombers definitely take advantage of that one in these games, you know, shutting Powell down, like you mentioned, getting after Fajardo and coming out of this, you know, two straight wins against the Riders, Saskatchewan, you know, three and two start the season off three game win streak, then two losses to the Bombers, you know, everybody's starting to, you know, consider the Bombers, I think at this point, a favorite to go on this season at this point, I think everybody's questioning who Saskatchewan is, you know, is it the team right. that, that won three uh, against BC, Hamilton and Ottawa, or is it the team that lost to uh, against Winnipeg and you know it seemed to be a, a bit of both probably uh totally. based on how we saw them down the stretch but uh never easy to win uh against the Riders in Labor Day and uh, certainly Vanderbilt always a uh, tough game there as well so two big wins there this this is where things really get going on the streak uh for the Bombers then we get into week number seven where they play the the Edmonton Elks they win 37 22 yes. a game they go up uh, I think 15 nothing in this game. Then Edmonton comes back, ends up taking the lead at some point yeah. in the third quarter. <laughs> I think this might have been Taylor Cornelius's first yep. CFL start That's in this right. one as well. And uh, this was certainly a game where it was like, okay, th- things are going well. Things are going well. Oh, shoot. What happened? This is not good. And, uh, but they, once again, fourth quarter bombers defense does it yet again, the offense gets just enough. And then, uh, you know, I I think it was Deandre Alford had a, had a pick six there in the fourth quarter. I think there might've been another one there as well. Uh, well, that was the big hill touchdown when Jefferson stripped Cornelius the the goal line or something, I think. Right. Yes. That one as well. Uh, Yeah. A couple, a couple interceptions there. Uh, they were late in the game. Yeah, uh, big plays there to uh, to give totally. the Bombers the win in that one. It was a weird game. I remember watching it with my father in law, and uh, 
and his brother who are from Edmonton. And they were just ribbing me the whole time. And I remember Ali Mortada missed like three field goals, which were fairly close. Now he was hitting them straight, but he wasn't hitting them at the right angle. And we could have, we could have trounced them in that game. Like we were up 14, nothing. We were moving the ball at will. And then I remember Claros got picked off in the end zone and the guy ran it out. And I thought, Oh God, like we had a chance, you know, you go up 21, nothing on a team. They're not coming back on you most of the time, but it was only 14, nothing. And as you said, they, they came back and took the lead. Um, so it was a bizarre game. And I, I, what, what impressed me was Edmonton's defense, even though we won by 15, you know, a couple of those were defensive touchdowns. I thought their defense, I talked about this in one of my episodes. I thought their defense played us really well, even though we beat them 30 to three, like later on in the season. And then we had that really close game on the road against them where, where Grimes dropped that pick six, but I thought their D line played us really well. They, they did a good job against the run and, and they confused Zach Caleros and some pre-snap stuff. And so I, I was impressed with, with Edmonton considering there was Cornelius's first start and it, he didn't really know what he was doing. So uh, it was a weird game. And then you had that Dakota Prukop, like 60 yard run. I don't remember that. And I'm like, what is going on here, man? And then, uh, and then much to my chagrin, you had James Wilder had a, had a couple touchdowns. One of them, he just trucked Dietrich Nichols. I felt bad for him. Nichols was just standing there trying to, and he just got run over. Uh, I'm not a big James Wilder fan. I, I think he's uh, a little bit full of himself, but uh in any case, it was it was nice to get that win, but with that kicking game and the way their defense handled us, uh, it wasn't the most convincing of wins. And then we get into you know bye week there for week number eight, and then we yeah. go on to week number nine uh, against BC, a thirty to nine win there. Uh, the Bombers really like the score thirty. I feel like, I feel like there are many <laughs> yeah, they had it a few year. times, eh? Yeah, yeah, a couple back to back there as well, or uh, yeah, always putting up in the thirties. Uh, this was the one game that you know all the talk is on the defense, 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 and then this game was the one yeah. where the offensive outburst was just out of nowhere i mean i I don't know if coleros threw for over 300 yards on another game all season but this one 417 two touchdowns uh kenny lawler's massive career game 205 yards and a touchdown for him yeah yeah Um, quite the spectacle eh? I, I was shocked by the game. Like I, I was a bit nervous. It's always hard to play in Vancouver. You got the time difference. You got Michael Riley. You had lucky whitehead. You that, you, you know, people might forget that was the story at the beginning of the league. Lucky whitehead was the head and shoulders above anybody for the MLP race. I guess after he left us, he, he, I think he was dropped from us just because he wasn't a polished enough receiver. But I remember, one of the DBs was, was interviewed this year by Bob Irving and said, you know, he'd met with lucky in the off season and uh, or after the offs, maybe it was Nick Taylor and said, you know, lucky has become like a really polished receiver and you saw that. So, you know, there was all that talk, but then again, they didn't have a run game. I think they had James Butler. And I, and I think, you know, anytime you don't have a run game in the CFL against good defense, you're toast. And, and so I think the Bombers had a great game plan. They, they just, they shut down the run. BC abandoned it early and, and Riley was just airing it out. And once they took Whitehead out of the game, 
uh, now you never want to see a player injured, but he was absolutely smoked by, I think it was Brandon Alexander, who's now become sort of like the Benny, the Hitman Thompson of our, of our uh, bomber. By the way, before this year, I didn't know who that was. I, I might be too young, but uh, I looked him up when Walby talked about him because I think he compared, he compared Alexander to, to Benny Thompson. Uh, was he the Hitman or was the assassin? I don't remember, but uh, they took Whitehead out and then, there was one play, actually, uh, you know, you talk about the flashy stuff. The one play for me that that I there's two plays, actually, and they're on defense. One is where uh, Stove Richardson, it might have been his first game back, actually, Ryan. I don't remember. Do you remember? Was that his first game back? Stove? Uh, that I am not sure about. I'm putting you on the spot. I don't remember. Let me, let me look it up. I'll look it up. So there was one play where he where he took on Suk Chung and maybe it was Godbear. I think it was the center. And he he basically just threw them out of his way and went and sacked Michael Riley. And I just thought, oh my God, this guy's an absolute animal. And then there was another play. I don't remember who made the play, but BC, who had not established the run game all game, tried to try to play action <laughs> with Butler. And they fake the handoff to Butler and, and the two defensive tackles or ends didn't even bother uh, stopping. And they just ran right by Butler and just toasted Mike Riley. And I thought, wow, like, that's just great. Like that's just film study and watching a team's tendencies. And then I think BC made the mistake of, uh, of giving, you know, I think they only rushed three or something that game, there was some kind of scheme thing they were doing and, and Caleros had all day to throw the ball and he just aired it out and tested that Lions uh, secondary. Up until that point, I think the Lions secondary had been pretty good. They'd had a bunch of interceptions, but they just got roasted by Caleros and those receivers. And it was a, it was a beautiful game to watch. I remember being so excited after because I looked up the stats and I, I give myself credit for one thing this year, Ryan. I, I think I was the first one on Twitter to say that was the first 400-yard passing game for the Bombers since Joey Elliott in 2012. Like, that yes. tells you something. Yeah. That tells you that's, that's uh, what, nine years? I mean, and who's Joey Elliott? I mean, young fans now probably don't even remember him, but yeah, he the, did have the, that 400-yard game. The two things that shocked me about that statement are that it's been so long since Bombers <laughs> had a 400-yard game and that Joey Elliott had a 400-yard <laughs> game. Yeah, crazy, right? Like Joey Elliott, like where did that come from? I remember Joey Elliott, if you played his zone defense, he he was really good, but or maybe it was a man defense, he was good. Once you played zone, he got really confused, so I think other teams figured him out. But yeah, uh, Caleros was just on fire, and then Lawler, uh, just a crazy game for the receivers. Yeah, unreal. Uh, Double-checked on it, you were correct. That looks like that was Stephen Richardson. Is that is that right? Okay. Season. Yeah, so you, you nailed well it. Well done and under uh, pressure, man. There you go. Uh, so then we get into a back-to-back with Edmonton again. Three again. Games, <laughs> three, game, three of four games with Edmonton in that middle chunk of the season. Uh, the first one here, the Bombers win at home 30-3 to in another game where it just seemed nothing was going their way. I think there was a couple trips close to the end zone. I think there might have been one that got stopped at the one-yard line. Then yes. Had a couple turnovers in the red zone. And, yeah. and, you know, just 
despite all that, pulling out a 27 point win in this game was <laughs> the, the, the score line flattered the Elks. I think this is oh, a yeah. game Winnipeg could have easily put up 50 points in this one. 100%. Uh, you know, Edmonton really struggling here at this point in the season, kind of all season long. And uh, just another masterful performance. This was, you know, arguably Andrew Harris's best game of the season, 150 yards, two touchdowns, yep. and a massive game here by the Bombers in the first of the home and home with Edmonton. But but it was such a frustrating game, though, hey? Like, especially that first half. I think we were only up, I don't know, was it 11-3 or something? Like, it was just, um, yeah, red zone gaff, And and then uh, Claris threw a pick to Jordan Hoover, who I, I'd never really heard of before that game. And then he runs it out, like, 80 yards. It, it was so frustrating. And, and they were, yeah, they were they were just rusty. But. 30 to three. You're right. Like they, they easily could have won 50 to three. Uh, but then we, our defense luckily came to play at the beginning and they got those, what was it? Three safeties. It was the first game ever that I'd seen a team basically give up a touchdown, uh, six points on safeties. It was crazy. Yeah. When you, uh, when you score more points against yourself than you do against the other team, that yeah, right. Like exactly. Successful business model. Uh, but but I think Bertata missed uh, missed a couple field goals. Um, yeah, and I think that was the game. And I had sign guy on Don, Donnie Crookshank from Winkler. He he dresses up as sign guy and has those awesome signs every every game. He told me like he sits very close to the uh, opposing bench in section one hundred and seven. He told me that the equipment. I think it was the equipment guy. Uh, came up to him. And they were chatting and this was the game was still going on, but like the game was over. And <laughs> he said something about like, yeah, like uh, Trevor Harris doesn't know what he's doing. Like one of the coaches said that to him. And, you know, when you hear that, it's just like, oh, my God. And I remember analysis of the game saying like Trevor Harris was just awful. Like you never know when you like when you're a guy like me, I, I never played football. So football is so complicated. You don't know if the O-line wasn't protecting him or people weren't blocking properly. The receivers weren't going to their spots or whether, whether our defense was playing that good, but apparently the experts were saying, you know, Harris just played like crap. And and then sure enough, after that game, he was traded. Yeah. He lost, he lost his starting job and then he was traded shortly after. So yeah, I, I, it was just a bizarre game. I remember that one. And then the next game, Boy, was that an interesting one. I mean, I, I really think Edmonton should have won that game. They had that drop pick six by Aaron Grimes. And then as soon as he drops the pick six, I mean, again, that's that's where I started to think, like, are we a championship team? Because, you know, you, you have a pick six dropped. Uh, their defense was playing us really well. And, and then r- right after he drops the pick six, Calaris takes us on the winning touchdown drive. And I thought, huh, like that. That that's interesting from just psychologically being able to shrug that off because it was just a bad throw. I mean, there was some pre-snap stuff. I remember talking about that in my podcast, but you know, you, you shrug that off and that's what Claris did. And then you saw that in the great cup, he shrugs off those two picks and then goes on to win the MVP. So I thought again, like the, these are championship teams win ugly games, games they shouldn't win. You only have to look at 2015 when Edmonton won the Grey Cup on our on our, on our home stadium. Um, I remember a game I was watching with my dad, 
and they beat us on a Sean White 52-yard field goal to, to ice the game. And that's the game where Lear Marilahu was run out of town because he missed, like, do you remember that game at home where, like, he missed, like, four field goals and a bunch of extra points? And Sounds familiar. Right? And, and then uh, that's, ironically, that's when Castillo came in for the first go-around with us. But I remember that game clearly and, and thinking, well, the team that was that won the Great Cup that year shouldn't have beat us. But somehow they gutted out that win. And I think you saw that with the Bombers, like against Calgary. You saw that against Edmonton in this game. You saw it in the West Final. You saw it arguably in the Grey Cup. So it was an interesting game from that point for me, but it was it was a frustrating one. Yeah, and this was one of the games, I think it was this one, where it was, it was almost like, oh, a team finally figured out uh, what to do defensively against this off- offense. Because yeah. if I remember correctly, the Elks blitzed basically on 80% of their plays or something ridiculous. <laughs> something like that. And I think this was the game maybe where Jamarcus Hardrick uh was out for this game. And so oh, that's know, we, right. we yeah. didn't have the full offensive line and it was – it was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe uh, maybe they're not untouchable, uh, you know, right. especially after the game the week before the Elks coming back in and, and having a fine game here. Uh, this was also the game, I believe, where Andrew Harris ended up going down once again. That's right. Brady, Brady Oliveira comes in, puts up 100 yards in the second half. Yeah. And, you know, Harris goes down at this game, and then we find out that week, you know, he's going to be out on the six-game injured list. And at that point, I'm just thinking, okay, like, we all know what's going to happen here. They're, they're yeah. going to arrest him down the stretch. He's going to come back in West final, put up a monster game. Like we all knew this was coming. That right? that was my thinking too, man. Like I think everyone was like, yeah, he's not, he's, they're just saving him. Eh? Yeah. But I remember you're, that's a good memory about Hardrick because that, I think that really affected us because was it Costigan or was it, it wasn't bets. Uh, I think it was Costigan against him, and, and that's that was um, Newfeld's first game at right tackle, and he just got turnstiled like two or three times, and I was like, "Ooh, I get, uh, you know, I we don't often understand the the nuances of the O line, but you certainly saw that when you play out a position <laughs> in the CFL on the O line, you, you you know you can get exposed pretty quickly, eh?" Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, Bob, <laughs> but, you know, the Bombers still pull this one out. 26-16 win. That kind of caps off that middle five-game section of the yeah, season yeah. here. Uh, you know, three games, uh, or I guess we went six games there. Uh, maybe my math was slightly off. but uh, Well, we again, had... it was a 14-game season. It was a weird one. So how do you know, yeah, exactly. how do you even break it down? Yeah, I guess six games in the middle. That makes more sense math-wise. Um, but you had the two games against the Riders. You had three of those against Edmonton. Then you had the one against BC. So a lot of home-and-home matchups there for the for the Bombers' middle chunk of the season. Totally, yeah, and, good uh, point. Definitely a, a, a good middle chunk to set them up for now we get into kind of those final four games of the year. Yeah. Where now we're into the portion of the year that really didn't matter a ton uh, the first game against BC in week number 12, I think still mattered a little bit, but it was basically yes. a formality at that point that the yeah. Bombers were going to finish first in the league. And, uh, that's right. Well, I, I don't think they took the chance to go and clinch first place lightly because they absolutely <laughs> steamroll the BC Lions 45 to nothing in this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, could not believe this being there watching this one live. It was kind of like, 
Oh, they're getting close. They're getting close. Oh, turnover. Oh, they're getting close. And yeah. I think they missed a field goal at one point where it was like, oh, shutout streak's over. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, they just didn't have anything, eh? Like, it was almost embarrassing for the Lions. I mean, this is this is the game that encompasses really what this defense was about all season long, yeah, right? For yeah, the Bombers yeah. to go, uh, as you know, I mean, to go from not allowing points in the fourth quarter all season long to now not allowing them in any quarter in this game. Uh, this was probably one of the most dominant games I've ever seen the Bombers play. I don't know if you can think of. Oh no, man! Like I think you're absolutely right. I mean, to to. Yeah, they did. Yeah, Camacho missed a 46-yarder, eh, or something. And um, uh, yeah, and I think Grant returned the kick. He almost had a kick, ret- uh, missed field goal return touchdown, I think. But, uh, yeah, they just, uh, like, when you shut out a team, like, you don't shut out teams in the CFL. You know, like, it's just, even, you know, when you think about the kicking game and the special teams game and the rouge possibilities even <laughs> like you just we still remember when we were shut out on labor day in 2012 52 nothing right like this is a game that's quite similar from bc's perspective and they they had an elite starting quarterback we didn't back then so yeah it was just it was just sheer domination and you know i think the the most memorable play for me in that one was uh, the Willie Jefferson pick six because we were all waiting for that, and then he sort of dances into the end zone and tries to high five uh, one of his guys, and, and and the running back was coming after him, and you know, so it was just that was just crazy. It, it was just a phenomenal game. Uh, Forty five nothing is just just incredible. You got you got the Bombers scored in every way possible, right? You had the kick return touchdown. You had the pick six. You had a, you had a, I think that was Oliveira's first touchdown that game, which was nice, nice to see. And then uh, you you had Claros aired out a few times there. So um, yeah, just a just a fabulous game. Yeah, and then they 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 clinched the West on that game, so that you know we were all feeling pretty good. Yeah, dominant in all, all ways. He even had, you know, Johnny Augustine all of a sudden come in with a 55-yard run. That's right, game, that Augustine was, run, yeah. Which was ridiculous uh, in its own right. Uh, an absolute steamroll from start to finish is kind of the way you can sum up that game against BC. And, uh, you know, then we get into, like you mentioned, they clinched the West at that point. There's really nothing to play for in the coming weeks. Uh, and then we get into a home and home with Montreal. It starts off here in Winnipeg. Bombers win that one 31 21. I think in that one, they still had most of their starters kind of playing, yeah, in that game. Um, which you know, I it, it's interesting how you manage it down the stretch, right? I don't know if you would have managed, would you have managed the team any differently down the stretch than the way they did? I don't think so, you know, like, uh. My thinking in that in that stretch of, of the season was, you know, because there's always that rest versus rust thing. I I kind of thought you don't want to rest guys for a, an entire month going into a West final against against uh, you know either Calgary or uh, Saskatchewan. At the same time, I I just just knowing the players we had and the amount of veterans, I thought rest was better. And and I and I didn't I didn't have any fears about them having rest, especially the, the culture of the team. I think that's one of the hallmarks of the bombers is you know they they really do 
they really do feed into all those football cliches. You know, they take it one play at a time. They win at practice. They play for each other. They control all the things that they, they can control. They don't take stupid penalties, you know. And so I just thought their attention to detail and the culture there, uh, I wasn't concerned. You know, that kind of proved us wrong maybe in the West final where they did seem very rusty, but uh, I guess you can't argue with results, but I, I liked that they left the starters in for the Montreal game. You know, they hadn't played Montreal yet. Uh, I think they wanted to make a statement against the Alouettes who they thought they might see in the gray cup and, and stand back is a, is a beast at running back. And, and I, you know, I think they kind of wanted to see what they could do. And uh, I like that they kept the starters in and, and I like that they gutted out a win there. I think they were down by what was it? Seven or 10 points in the third quarter and and they got it out a win and came back so uh i i liked how they managed it the, the last two games the calgary and montreal game that was fine to me i think you get you had to give people especially on the road you got to give other people reps you don't want to get someone injured those games were basically even more meaningless than preseason games because at least in the preseason you're evaluating guys and and you're trying to build up to something there you were just trying to survive those last two meaningless games uh without any injuries so i i I liked how they did it and and i guess it proved it proved to be the right decision you know did they did they take too much time off i don't know because you went into the west final and they they turned the ball over six times and made a close game of a, a against a team that they had completely dominated so I, I don't know. In hindsight, it's kind of iffy, but then you win the great cup. So, you know, what can I say there? Yeah. You know, those last couple of games of the year, the Bombers do lose the final two. They lose the one in Montreal, 28, 14. Then they lose that yeah. one to Calgary week 16 on the last play kind of there, the late comeback for Calgary. Uh, you know, don't get to the Bombers side of the field until like six minutes left in the game or whatever it is, but uh, still pull, yeah. pull off the oh, comeback that- win in that one. Uh, they were tough games to watch the final two, they but were, it yeah. was it, it was kind of, you know, a reassurance that or it was kind of a comfort to know that we were watching these terrible games, not because the team is terrible, but because the team is so good that half the team's not playing. Uh, well, yeah, and, and I think that's where you tested the team, the, the fan psyche, right? Because I don't think Bomber fans were used to being in this position. I mean, this is what Calgary fans have been used to for two decades off and on. I mean, I remember on Facebook and on the forums, like fans were freaking out. Like, you know, you were limping into the playoffs and we've, we've, we've sort of lost our mojo in that Calgary game. We gave up that record of, of fourth, uh, fourth quarter touchdowns and, and, you know, people were nervous, but I just thought like these games don't matter. And it's interesting because I'm such a pessimist, but I, I just I just didn't really care. And and they were tough to watch. I don't even think I really watched much of the Montreal game, to be honest with you. I think it was it was at a weird time. I think it was at noon and I've got kids. So, like, you know, you're, you're not exactly don't have time to watch the game at that point. But, yeah, it was it was funny. I thought the psyche of Bomber fans, they, they just weren't prepared to be a first place team, just coasting to the finish. Yeah, and then and then we get into you know the big thing to come out of those two games was uh, nightmarish flashbacks for everybody to Kevin Glenn's broken arm back in yes. uh, two thousand seven, right? Because yeah, Sean McGuire gets nothing done as a starter. Drew Brown doesn't look great in the season finale, and, and that was I think maybe the biggest concern coming into the year 
uh, for me was actually, you know, maybe less so Caleros is the starter, but more so his injury history and then the unknowns behind him. Yes. We saw flashes that maybe Sean McGuire could be the next kind of Chris Strebler that we saw from 2019, but nobody knew for sure. And uh, coming down there in the, the final two games, it was kind of, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, let's hope Colero <laughs> stays healthy and gets to the end of the Great Cup. Great and, point. And so yeah. then it was at that point, it was kind of, you know what? Good thing they're, they are resting him down the stretch. That sums up kind of the end of the season. You know, yes, they, they could have gone, they could have started everybody down the stretch, probably would have won all of those games there, you know, probably would have had that record, I think, uh, fourth quarter defensively. But I think they made the right decisions as well to, to rest everybody and get ready for the playoffs, which is kind of where we head next. Here we go into the West final uh, hosting Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, the riders pull off that, uh, that crazy win over Calgary yes. before where yeah, Fajardo throws four interceptions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and everybody's thinking, well, if Calgary did that to them, what's the Bombers defense going to do? Right. And I got, I, I, I said it here on the podcast, you know, when we recap that game and I, you got to give credit to the riders for coming in and a really hard fought game here Absolutely. in the Western final between these two teams. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it already. Six turnovers seemed like Coeros had a bit of rust on him. Uh, but the Bombers find a way to get this done in the West final. What were your thoughts yeah. on this game? Yeah. Honestly, Ryan, that was the most nervous I've ever been at a game. I, I have to I'll, that uh, even more than the Grey Cup this year, because as I said, uh, you know, you go into this year expecting them to win. And especially that game, you know, we had the night, you know, this was way before our time. But in 1972, we had that freakish win by the Riders uh, on that last second play. They came back from three scores down. And so this was the first time we'd host, hosted the West final since then. We were a far superior team not only in the standings, but in every category, I remember looking it up and the bombers were first in every offensive and defensive category and respectively the riders were last. So they were coming in here. We trounced them twice. I thought, you know, this is a game. I just want to win. I want to be up with them early and just be relieved, you know, and, and just, you know, party in the second half or whatever. And it, it was anything but that man. Like it was infuriating. I remember the, the first he had that dent, like we were moving the ball at will on them. And the first drive, we have that bizarre Dembski sort of tip drill to Ed Ganey. And, you know, honestly, we were kind of laughing. We're just like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's, it's, it's icy out. Like these things happen. It was a fluke. We're laughing. And then the next defensive drive for, for the riders, Fajardo gets just belted and limps off the field. So I thought, you know, maybe this is good actually. Cause it, you know, the, the, the riders had some momentum and then just cut the wind taken out. This is good. We're, 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 we're exhausting their offense. Right. And then we go and and then I, who was it? Wallatarski got scripted at the two, two yard line. So again, this is a red zone turnover. And then I'm starting to think, Oh boy. Because red zone turnovers and then the field gets flipped on you. Those are the ways that a championship team loses a playoff game, a one and done. And then I started to get nervous. And then you had that weird Legio punt where he tried to fake it. And I know O'Shea after the game was saying, you know, that was kind of a miscue. Uh, we thought they had too many guys on the field. So we had a free play. Like it was just it was like stuff you hadn't seen all season. 
happens at the worst possible time. You know, you had those bad conditions and I thought that's an equalizer for Saskatchewan. So all those things were coming together, right? And and yet we were only down 10-7 at half. And I think at that point I was like, okay, we're the better team. As long as we don't continue to crap the bed at a like global level, we're going to be fine. But then the second half comes, we turn the ball over again. And uh, then Saskatchewan went on a bit of a march. And I think then they went ahead 14-10 on that Duke Williams, like 66-yard touchdown against Nick Taylor. Nick Taylor almost never gets burned like that, but it was a perfect throw. I think Nick Taylor uh, tried to undercut it. He slips and uh, and goes down. And, and I was like, oh, God. Like, and, and the worst, like, to have Duke Williams do that to you because, you know, he'd have, that, he'd have that eye poke, I think, of the game before. And then I think there was some shenanigans. I forget. Well, what did he do in this one, Ryan? He, he pulled some shenanigans in this game, I think. Was it, was it like a spit or an eye poke? Or was it a spit? In the West semifinal, this one he poked Alexander in the eye. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like that. That's that's so, what's being reported. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're saying. So um, I was like, oh, that hurts. But, but uh, you know, uh, but then you know, I think the turning point in the game is is the Riders were marching, and they um, like a, it was kind of a a rare occurrence, but Brett Lowther missed a makeable field goal. And then I think that's where Janarian Grant runs it back almost to like the 50 yard line. So you had this huge field position flip. And if you think about that, if he makes that field goal, the riders are only down 21 20 on their two minute drill where, where they, where they eventually turn it over on downs at the end of the game, you know, Lowther, if he hits that field goal, then you have Saskatchewan potentially winning it on a walk-off. And, and I think they could have done it. I, I don't remember where, I think they were at the bomber, like 30 yard line. Um, and that's, that's when he threw it to Mitchell Picton. God knows why he threw it to Picton. He hadn't been, he had like, he hadn't had a catch all game. He hadn't even been targeted. Right. And then Nick Taylor redeems himself, which I thought was just perfect, perfect um, reflection of the culture of the team that a guy that gets completely burned, um, you know, rallies and his guys rally around him to, to, to save the day. So I thought that was great. The other thing that jumps out to me, was and, and they were even saying this on the green zone and the piffles podcast after like just the, the the sheer magnitude of that error by the command center to give duke williams that huge like it was, i think it was third down and, and fajardo threw a prayer up to him it wasn't a catch like everyone in the stadium could see that it bounced off the turf and how they didn't overturn that is mind-boggling and and frankly it, it, it it's kind of scary that 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 play happened and the writers could have won a game. They shouldn't have won based on that. Like that, that would have been impossible to stomach and it's a bad look on the, so that kind of left, left a bad taste in my mouth. And I think even writer fans appreciated how bad that was. Yeah, no, that would, that was horrendous. That was, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, and then no argument for me on that side of things. It, it was one of those weird games. And, uh, you know, I teed it up earlier, that game against Toronto, the comedy of errors, but they were close yeah. in that game. Then you had that one against Edmonton where, okay, they're playing, you know, a, a lower seeded team and, and, you know, a bunch of errors, but they still win by 27 in that one. Well, the Riders are a much better team. So you have a bunch of those errors. We're getting yeah. later in this game. You're starting to think, 
I don't know if they're going to do this. Uh, you know, half my brain was thinking that at the other half of my brain was thinking how flipping cold it was out there. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, only for, probably only half my brain was unfrozen at that point. Oh, uh, totally, man. <laughs> oh yeah. It was freezing. Our, our feet were freezing. And unfortunately it was, uh, one of one of the listeners to, to my podcast, anyways, um, Greg, he he had suggested everyone bring a piece of broken styrofoam to stand on because then you don't get the you don't get the cold seeping in from the concrete. But I, I wish I would have listened to him because man, my feet were frozen and I was wearing like three pairs of socks, those heaters in there. Uh, I don't know, I was layered up. Yeah, me too. It was it was a rough <laughs> one in the cold, but uh, I'd stick it out any day to watch a game like this. It was a, it's a heck of a finish to a game. Uh, you know, a massive game by Andrew Harris, like we said, yes. you know, goes down in that game against Edmonton. Okay, we don't need to see him till the West final again. Just make sure he's ready to go for that. What does he do? Probably has one of his best games of the season, 136 yes. yards and a touchdown. You had the weird Colero stat of three picks in this game, but only yeah. one other incompletion. In fact, a pass to Mike Miller, who had only maybe oh, one pass his way all season, that. was the only Colero's pass that goes incomplete to nobody's hands in right. the entire game. Were those uh, his only four incompletions? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Good pick yeah. on that. That that is interesting. I remember that Mike Miller drop because it was a drive killer. I think it was a second down, and you you know that Lapo and Buck always throw one pass to Mike Miller a game, like one play to Mike Miller on second and short, and it always works. But yeah, he dropped it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a weird stat line for that game. Yeah, that uh, is weird. But the Bombers pull it out. The defense does it. From zero points allowed in the fourth quarter. Again, they get the touchdown in the fourth quarter and go on to win the West final. Head to the Grey Cup rematch, which oh is where God. we end things off uh, with the 2021 season. A uh, wild game here, as, as we talked game. about. So one of the best Grey Cups. Uh, 33-25, uh, the Bombers pull out the win in overtime. It didn't start very uh, entertaining, really, from both sides. The win nope. played such a huge factor in this game. Uh, but a, a barn burner of a second half and a crazy finish there in overtime. Uh, your overall thoughts on uh, this breakup <laughs> game? Well, I, I, I giggled like a schoolgirl after that game, Ryan, for about two hours. I, I just, 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 even though I, I, I had a feeling we could come back with the win, being down twenty-two ten, and just the way that our offense had been completely shut down, it, it impressed the hell out of me. I was expecting us to go in and beat the crap out of them because uh, one, because we were the better team and even Hamilton fans that I, you know, I was partying with the night before. And luckily I didn't get COVID because a lot of people did, but um, <laughs> you know, we we're all wearing masks, but still you have a sip of your drink. So it was the, the Western social hall. Even they were saying like, uh, you know, you guys are going to win, but boy, did they come to play in their defense shut down Harris. And again, that's the blueprint. You shut down Harris and then you have a good pass rush. But I thought with, uh, I thought with Ted Laurent going down, I thought with Ted Lerano, it would be a competitive game with a ratio breaking all-star defensive tackle. Who's a big run stopper going down. Uh, then they had to shift over a delicate. Who's, who's a smaller guy into halfback. I thought he'd be picked on. 
they had that Stavros Katsatanis. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. He was put into to safety. And I just thought there, there were so many roster changes. I, I was I was kind of fooled. I didn't think that the, because of the ratio, I didn't think they were able to field uh, Don Jackson. I thought they would have to start Erlington, but I guess Jackson played, obviously. So, but, but I went into the game fairly confident, but then I got to the stadium and it was like 98% Ticants fans and they were rabid. Like they were all really nice to us, but they were rabid and they were loud. And, uh, you know, we, so, we, so it, but, but again, it was just a crazy, crazy game. Like I was pretty dejected when we went down 22, 10, I won't lie. Claros throws those two picks and one of them was a pretty bad pick actually. But again, he has this ability to just forget about it, uh, which is incredible. And then he goes on to be the MVP. Uh, the thing I thought about the game was it was one of those games where there was a few plays that really turned the tide of the game. And particularly, I think of him. I know everyone's talking about that Tim White single he took. And I have a theory about that I'll get to if we have time. But I look at the penalties Hamilton took in overtime in the fourth quarter as being particularly damaging. And I think that's what separates team like a Michael Shea coach team, not to knock on Steinauer because I think he's a great coach, but Steinauer, you could see him throughout the game. He got emotional. He got upset at times, you know, like O'Shea was an absolute like monolith. You never see anything out of him. And it works because the players just ride, you know, they just stay the course and, and one of the hallmarks of that, I think, is they don't take stupid penalties. They don't find ways to lose the game. So, so in overtime, you have that uh, they were offside on our overtime drive. Uh, so we went from like a second and seven to a second and two, which Harris completed. You know, Harris gets the two, three yards. And then they had that horrible, Revenberg had that horrible holding call. Now, I know Ticats fans didn't like the call because you don't want to call holding in overtime, but he gets the call. So that pushes Masoli back to second and 18. And at that point against that, like historically good defense, you're just asking those guys to pick it off, especially when he kept throwing to the field side. But in any case, uh, those penalties, and then there was another one and I wrote it down. I, I, I forget the player. I was a guy I, 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 I wasn't super familiar with Jordan Murray. I, I don't know what he plays. I think he was a backup DB in that game. And if you remember this, he uh, he goes and trucks Winston Rose after the play when Winston Rose isn't even looking. This is in the fourth quarter of a Grey Cup game that is, you know, the tightest Grey Cup game since you said like 2016, right? And he just goes and trucks them needlessly. And then that 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 allowed the Bombers to continue that march and then they take the lead. So I thought, you know, that that stuck out to me, horrible penalties. That the, the way that the the the, the Ticats schemed against our defense and really shut down Harris and had Caleros off his game. I don't know the X's and O's there. I I rewatched the game. I I I'm I'm gonna have Natea J on my show tomorrow and I hope to pick his Ooh, brain. Awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause I cause I listened to the uh broadcast, the, the TSN radio broadcast with him and Dustin Nielsen, and I was really impressed with them. And I've seen some of Ajay's stuff on Twitter about breaking down Argo's plays. So I'm curious to see what did Hamilton do so well to shut us down because it was incredible. But then inexplicably the fourth quarter, like all of a sudden Harris is running Harris, the game opens up. And I know I, I rewatched the game. I saw him run out to the, 
you know, he sort of had more of a, they were kind of taking on the edge of the defense a little more. So maybe they were stringing him out. Maybe they just got tired because our O-line are animals and Harris runs, you know, Harris runs like a beast. I don't know, but there was just so many storylines. And I guess I'll finish with this. The other thing was, was this was, you know, just a classic CFL game in terms of wind field position and kicking. And, you know, you think about, I think, and I, and I loved your conversation with Michael last podcast about the MVP. I think the MVP was Sergio Castillo. And I think it's not even close. He had five field goals in a championship game. He's never played in a championship game. He's basically got a new snapper and holder. He doesn't know these guys from anything. He hits five field goals. One of them was about a 48 yarder to, to, to take the lead 24, 22. Like that's the most pressure packed field goal you're ever going to have to make. Uh, it's a long distance. Uh, the, like I said, the, the, the Hamilton crowd was absolutely rabid and he goes and, and, and gets that field goal. And I was like, wow, like that's impressive. He hits every point after, I think he hit two of them. And then he accounts for three more points. He had a, he had a punt single in the first half, which was, which was interesting. It was, I think it was with the wind and he punted it to the opposite side from where Poppy White was, and it goes into the end zone, and it almost looked intentional. And then he had those two kickoff singles. Those were huge points. Yeah. One of them goes off White's hands. He, he misplayed it. He could have just let it go. And then the other one, of course, is the famous knee. And, and those points were massive. So, you know, you count it up. He's got, he's got 15 points off field goals, three extra, two extra points to make it 17. And then he's got the three singles. So what is that? 20 points. Yeah. And he didn't get the MVP. I know he's a kicker and they don't like to give it to kickers, but my God, like he, he, and, and, and then you look at the kicking game. The other thing that stuck that, that uh, stuck out for me was how poorly the Hamilton uh, punter was Whitford. He had a couple good ones in the first half against the wind, but after that he was awful in the second half. And I think it wasn't just the wind. He gave the Bombers amazing field position to get back in that game. So I think it was two or three just terrible duffed punts into the wind. And, and the, it almost looked like they, they were so bad that you thought the Bombers blocked a couple of them. So yeah. he had a horrible game. And again, in the Canadian Football League, those things matter. They, 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 they play a huge role. So those things. And then of course, you know, you get the Tim white thing where you're just like, okay, I'll, I'll tell you my theory and then I'll shut up. Cause I know we're, we're going on here, but I think that, and, and I remember this from one, some university course, some ancient philosopher said, you know, in times of war, you don't rise to the level of your aspirations. You fall to the level of your training. And I think when you're in a championship game at home and you have those stakes and you have a backup American playing a returner role, and, and it's not like he was prepared for it. Poppy White started the game, right? And then you had a delicate returning a punt. So all the guy, all of a sudden, Tim White's in there. And I almost, I honestly think that he forgot he was in the Canadian Football League. I, I honestly, like, I don't know this for sure, right? My theory is, is that he just, he took a knee because he thought it was a touchback. I honestly I, think he thought it was a touchback. And he's like, okay, we'll get the ball in 35 or 25. Yeah, no, I know. I I don't think I don't think you're incorrect there potentially in, in thinking that you know you had, 
it's such a pressure situation that oh yes it's 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 a quick decision and whether you know it was a decision that he made on the fly or a decision from the coaches uh, you know instructions ahead of time i i I doubt we'll ever know uh exactly what came down to there and we'll certainly never know what the actual outcome would have been you know i'm still in the camp of i I think it was a a dumb decision obviously given the outcome i think he could have ran out to close enough to the 35 yard line they had enough you know they ran some plays where they just ran the clock down down the stretch which well he wouldn't have needed to necessarily do that yeah um so you know hindsight 2020 uh you know not not the best decision there for tim white or the coaches or whoever ended up making the call on that um but it's one of those things where you know this is this is one play that's going to be magnified but this game in general my my overall take on the gray cup was this one highlighted everything unique and everything great about the cfl because absolutely the cfl such a big thing is field position that's why you have the no yards calls that's why you have the the you know you can't do the fair catch like the nfl yeah Uh, that's why you have you know the the kickoffs and the the singles and the rouges you know the way you do um and not to mention just the ability for a lead to go back and forth down the stretch i think the overtime rules in the cfl are very exciting as well yes i agree i I mean this just kind of summed up everything about a, a cfl game that you know early in the game you have okay yeah this is a bit of a maybe this is the best great cup ever to this is the greatest game we've ever seen that's how quickly it can change yes Uh, yeah fantastic game that the bombers pull out the win and cap off the uh, the season here and and my my last kind of thought on the gray cup here is that uh you know uh back-to-back year is a glowing endorsement for the cfl trade deadline because uh this is this is <laughs> yeah it's, it's something you know you look at the nhl where they they do the trade deadline they have big you know trade center uh going all day and well a lot a lot of times it's slow going but there, there's still a lot of action mm-hmm. and a lot of other sports around the trade deadline the cfl you're lucky if you get one trade a year zach yeah. caleros to the bombers in 2019 leads them to the great cup Sergio Castillo, technically a trade, but mostly a signing rate. Well, and when, don't forget Winston Rose, who comes back. Yeah, you know, it's like so. the rich get richer, and he had that. I want to get Winston Rose, or or you get him. I want to. I want to know what he was thinking on that. On that, you know, incredible interception, because he somehow scoops that ball off the ground before it hits. It looked intentional to me that he scooped it to Wilson, didn't it? It's 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 a play that will be on top ten lists for years to come. It has to. It's uh, I, I I it's permanently ingrained in my brain of just the absurdity and the magic of that play. And, Unbelievable. And you're right. Yeah, Winston Rose, huge addition there down the stretch. Sergio Castillo, as we talked about, five field goals should have been the MVP in the Grey Cup. Absolutely. Um, you know, attention to all CFL teams. Maybe make a trade at the trade deadline. This well, year, yeah, maybe, yeah. Twenty twenty two. I want to see fifteen uh, trades at the trade deadline. Let's do it, man. I, I'd love to see it. Okay, well, hold on. I got to ask you this. So I listened to you guys, and I know you, you and Michael were debating about um, Hamilton's last drive where they kicked the short field goal to go into overtime, and and Michael was saying, you know, go for the go for the touchdown. I love this take. I didn't agree with him, but I loved his passion, and and you can't argue with him too much because you know he had good reasons. 
Um, you're saying, you know, you got to go to overtime. But the one that really sticks out to me is when they're up 19-10. Okay. So I've been thinking about this a lot lately. They're up 19-10. So it's a two-score game at that point, right? Because, you know, it, it, one score is up to eight. So you're up by nine. It's a two-score game. You you are you still have the wind. You know the bombers are gonna get the wind in the fourth quarter. And I think they were at the three yard line. So they were third and three. They're up 19-10. I actually think they should have gone for a touchdown there. Because even if you don't get it, you're still up by two scores. Now I, I get like those coaches are 10 times smarter than me, right? And and you know, they got to a gray cup game and almost won it. But that's one where I'm like, what's the difference between 12 and nine, right? Like if you go up 16 to 10 or 26 to 10, rather, that's a totally different ball game. And so that's, I was curious about your thoughts on that, right? Because I thought that could have been one that, uh, that put the game away for them and wouldn't have mattered too much if they didn't get it. I don't know. That, I, I like that one a little more than the one away, right at the end of the game, I think, of going for the touchdown there because you still have time to make up for it. Obviously, if they, they end up going on to lose and, and because they missed the touchdown there or when they could have kicked the field goal, you know, that, then people are going to look at that one like crazy as well and scrutinize that as well. But you're going to do that with any decision. But I, I think yeah. that's something we, we see so often in the CFL that's, that's frustrating is kind of, you know, be a little more aggressive, go for two, stop kicking yeah. the converts, go for two, you know, yeah. you're in the red zone early in the game, just put the pedal to the metal and go for a touchdown. What do you got to lose uh, yeah. at some point early in a game? I would love to see more situations like that. I think, you know, you want to talk about uh, a lot of the talk has been about, you know, scoring being down in the CFL, yeah. you know, I want, I want to see, I want to see teams be more aggressive and uh, well, you look no further than Edmonton, Chris Jones next year. If anybody's uh, that'll be, be interesting, eh? if anybody's the type of guy that's going to go out and do that, uh, I, I could see Chris Jones being that type of guy. Uh, Cause we know he likes to uh, try different creative things, but uh, yeah. yeah, great, great cup game. One of the best of all time. Definitely one of the best bomber seasons of all time. Best bomber yeah. teams of all time. A fantastic season here for the blue and gold. Two straight championships. It doesn't get much better than this. Or does it? <laughs> Quickly, as we kind of round up the discussion here, what are your thoughts going into the off season here? Yeah, can, how much of the team can they keep together, and do you think you know they they got a chance at the three peat going into next year? I do think they have a chance at the three peat. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's really hard to do, uh, especially because you know they're not going to have that advantage of continuity so much. I think other teams are going to have a little more continuity. Uh, I think Chris Jones coming into the division scares me. Um, I can't stand the guy, but I think he's good for the CFL. I think it's great to have a villain. It's, it's, and he, he, you know, he's just, he's building board material all the time. And then he, you know, you saw him on, uh, I think it was three down nation, an article where he was uh, crapping all over Fajardo, you know, like that stuff's great for entertainment value. So I, I, I think, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, you bring, if they can bring back Caleros, which I assume they will, because I think Caleros loves playing here. I think they'll bring back Biggie. I think they'll bring back a lot of the players, but when you have that many free agents, I think they have 48 free agents. The only, the only all-star players I think they have or, or high caliber players are what Dembski and 
who maybe a couple other ones. I know they they got Nick Hallett. They have some depth players, but gosh, you know, here's what I think, and this is uh, just a just an initial take. I think that a lot of the guys, especially the older veterans, will stick around for legacy because they love playing there. They've, you know, guys like Big Hill have established roots. Andrew Harris, I think Andrew Harris will play one more year. Uh, I, I just, I, I remember listening to him on the post game, or maybe, maybe it was at the Grey Cup celebration. They interviewed him, and I think he he didn't love being injured most of the season. That's not how he wanted to go out. I think winning the Grey Cup maybe moved the needle a bit in terms of retiring, but uh, I, I see him maybe come. I think I, I give him seventy percent. He comes back. I think you can't keep Oliver and Augustine. I think I think one of them goes probably Augustine, which which I hate because I'd love to see a Thunder and Lightning because as you yeah. said, Augustine had that incredible run. Uh, he's so fast, but uh, I think he'll. I don't think you'll see Augustine, and I don't blame him. I think I think he'll want to test the waters. But I, I do see some of those younger players who are quite good, either going trying out in the NFL or just trying to make a payday because, you know, your window is so short, you've got to make some money. And so I think about guys like Dietrich Nichols and uh, DeAndre Alford, uh, Kenny Lawler, even, you know, he might want to get paid. I don't know if Darvin Adams is done, you know, the, the toll, the, the style of play, you know, he's just a ferocious blocker. I don't know if he if he sticks around. I think Wolitarski will stick around. Um, Rashid Bailey. <laughs> I don't know where he's going to go, but I know Marnie loves Rashid and and uh, uh, inadvertently grabbed his butt one time. But uh, I think Rashid Bailey stays. I think the O line stays. Uh, but I think you'll lose some guys for sure. But I, do I think we can three peat? Absolutely. We have great scouts. I mean, look at look at the look at Alford and Nichols. I mean, especially Alford. There, you know, he this was his first pro year. Dietrich Nichols, at least he had some NFL and XFL film on, but we have all the same scouts, we have the same, you know, the same infrastructure. If we don't win a great cup, I think we'll be right there. That's my thought. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with you on a lot of that. Uh, the running back position, I think, will be the most interesting. Yeah, you know, does yeah. Andrew Harris come back? I kind of, you know, saw that big game in the West final as kind of a swan song performance for him there. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised with him if he plays until he physically can't anymore. Um, which, you know, I would love to see that. But also, like you said, the unfortunate then of you'd probably lose Olvera or Augustine if Harris is coming back. So yeah, very interesting to see how they manage that. You know, defensively, hopefully they can keep most of that crew intact. But this is, a, I think that's one of the spots we've seen the team be very successful in finding those diamonds yeah, in the rough yeah. where I think it is okay if they do end up losing a couple of pieces there. Uh, I think for me, you know, you, you bring back Zach Caleros, if you can keep his offensive line intact, those are the two major concerns for me. Uh, you know, bring back most of the receivers there and bring in you know, maybe some additional cheaper pieces if you need to. to, to yeah, fill the, that yeah. In. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a team that can compete as well as any going into next year. You know, everybody always talks about, oh, you're a championship caliber team. You're going to lose, you know, so many guys. You're going to lose some, sure. but you still have enough money to pay most of them. And I think when, so. And when you're a team as dominant as you were this season, um, like there were six, seven guys that could have been the league's defensive player of the year. 100%. On the defense. And if you lose one of those, it's going to hurt. But 
even if the defense, for example, regresses a little bit, they're still top two or three in the league, I think, defense. And, and, and for me, the most, as we're talking, I'm thinking that Andrew Harris is, is an interesting one. The other interesting one for me in terms of who's coming back will be Jackson Jeffcoat. I, I think I think Willie Jefferson stays. I don't have any like reason for that. I just think he loves it here. Uh, Jeff Coat is a, a bit younger, and I think he's an NFL talent. I think he's matched his dad's two uh, championships, uh, Jim. And I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if he wants to get paid a bit. You know, he's got the championships. He's you know, but maybe he wants to be that like number one stud defensive end on a team. I don't know. But then again, he loves Jeff Coat or Jefferson. Like they're like brothers. So. I don't know, man. That that's an interesting one to me. Yeah, that, and I think that's one of the more likely big pieces we could see all of a sudden leaving. Right? It is can you keep both of those? Can you keep Big Hill yet? To you know, defensively, there's so many guys that are going to get paid this year. It should be an interesting offseason. I know the Bombers have been focused kind of on some of the smaller pieces, which are definitely you know a big part of the yep. championship team as well. Uh, and I'm sure leading up to, I think, February 8th is free agency day. I'm sure we'll see a number of big names and uh, should be lots of fun news going forward here. Uh, you know, even if you lose part of your team, it's much easier to swallow after you've won back-to-back championships. That's right. For sure. <laughs> um, so that kind of wraps up our deep dive into the 2021 bomber season here. We're going to keep going throughout the offseason, uh, doing some deep dives on the other teams as well here awesome. on the podcast. Uh, next week, we've got super fan Mike from the Turf District. Turf in District, to, sweet. Yeah, he's going to come in and uh, give us the deep dive on the elk season. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Chris Jones coming back and uh, what the Elks team could look like coming into next year. So stay tuned for that next week on the podcast. And then we'll get some other uh, guests and uh, go around the CFL later in the, uh, the offseason as well. Uh, Michael Garrell will be back in uh, a couple weeks to uh, recap the uh, the latest news from around the CFL with me as well at that point. So that's what's coming down in the pipe here on our podcast. Uh, but this has been a blast so far today, Zach. Uh, yeah, man. I know I've Thank kept you. you for far longer than, uh, than you know I told you I would. Uh, so I hope you forgive me for that. But uh, it's been a blast going through this. You know, one of one of the episodes I was most looking forward to because we, we talk about the whole CFL all the time. Do. I'm a bomber fan at heart. You know, some of these episodes <laughs> we, we, we draw on and on about the bombers and then it's kind of like, okay, got to draw it back in. Yeah, you know, talk yeah. about all the other teams. It has been a blast just talking bombers with you, my friend for the past, uh, probably what hour 45 minutes or so. Yeah. We've been giving her. That's great though. I mean, what better thing to do than talk about the bombers? <laughs> Absolutely. It's something you do on the regular. Uh, just as we wrap things up here, uh, where can people find the podcast and uh, everything else you've got going on? Yes. Um, I am at bomber podcast. I had to think about that because I had to change my Twitter handle to make it uh, more accessible. Uh, so it's at bomber podcast on Twitter and Instagram, although I'm, I'm trying to get the hang of Instagram. I don't have it quite there, but it's, it's coming folks. It's coming, but yes, I'm mostly on Twitter. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook. Uh, uh, let's go bombers podcast. I have a Facebook page and uh, yeah, that's where I am. And uh, other than that, I don't have much going on. You know, I work full time and I'm a dad. So <laughs> that, sounds, the bummer like podcast kind of sneaks <laughs> in there. But yeah, man, it's been a blast. And and I'm kind of thinking out loud here. Maybe maybe what we'll do is get you and Michael on 
later in the off season to, to help preview the Bombers season. Once we have, once we, once the trade deadline passes, and I definitely look forward to your deep dive on some of the other teams. I, I love super fan Mike. Uh, and so I'll definitely tune in and uh, yeah, this was fun. Anytime uh, I'm happy to come on. And if a, if a guest, if a better guest falls through and you're like, Oh crap, we, we, we promised someone, uh, you know, I could change my voice and pretend to be someone else. Any, any <laughs> chance to talk CFL or bombers uh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And then big, big fan of what you and Michael uh, put down every week. So I'll continue to listen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime you want. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you back either later in the off season or uh, during the season as well. Uh, as, you know, when the Bombers get back on the field and start playing. Uh, it has been a blast, my friend. Uh, yes. Just to wrap things up here, uh, make sure you, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, do all of the, the the nice things on there to grow the show. You know, yes. you know, like it, comment, subscribe, review, rate, uh, follow. Um, I don't know what the other terms are that are on all the different. Every platform is different. <laughs> I uh, think you covered do all it. those things for our podcast. Also, do all all of those things for Zach's podcast, the Let's Go Bombers podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, you can check that all out, of course, and I definitely recommend you do so. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We have, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned changing your Twitter handle to be more <laughs> yeah. accessible uh, because we have a new Twitter handle as well. Uh, just uh, changed it just before we started recording here. Uh, you can now find us a little easier to find at CF Countdown Pod is the new Twitter handle. Uh, it's the same account as before, just change the handle. So if you were following us, uh, you are still hopefully continuing to do so. If you aren't following us, now's your chance to do so at CF Countdown Pod. You can find us there. You can also still find us on Facebook, the Canadian Football Countdown there. Uh, make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. You can find those on Twitter at CF Pod Network. Lots of fun stuff going into the off season. And uh, if you're interested in uh, CFL fantasy, I also uh, weekly run a uh, show over on YouTube called the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. And uh, yes, there is no fantasy football to preview during the off season, of course, but still some fun content along the way. We did our wrap up last week. Uh, this coming Friday, I'll have a recap of the latest CFL news there as well. So uh, check that out, the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42. It starts with a K for anybody <laughs> apparently outside of Winnipeg, according to Zach, who wouldn't have that. Uh, you can find me on there as well, talking all things CFL and CFL fantasy. Well, once again, Zach, thanks for taking the time this evening to join us here on the podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll talk, I'm sure, again uh, later on in the offseason. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks, everyone.